Today we're going to talk about emergent game design. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. You can also catch me for the occasional Game Dev stream on Twitch. That's just Zaccavelli underscore. We also have an open community Discord that anyone can join. I will leave a link for it in the show notes. It's a really good place for beginner to intermediate game devs to kind of get together and share information and knowledge and memes and I'm pretty much there every single day so yeah you should uh, come join. Lastly I want to mention that today's episode topic was picked by the patrons. Every month the patrons get to vote on an episode topic and one of the two core episodes a month. Um, The topic for that is decided by the patrons In addition to that, the patrons also sponsor a third bonus episode every month, and they get a special Discord role. So if being a patron is something that interests you and you want to directly support the show, I will leave a link to the Patreon in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's go on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the audience, uh, usually in the form of some kind of challenge. And then in the community Discord, people post their submissions. We vote on the submissions, and I read the winner here uh, live on the show. If you remember, the last episode was about animations and sort of the techniques of animations for indie devs. And so we actually had an art challenge last time where I challenged people to make an animation. It could be from a game that they're working on or just an original animation. And I wanted people to kind of also shed some light on their process. That way you could go over to the submissions channel and kind of see a bunch of different styles and techniques for animation. Decide which ones you might like to use in your own games. But like all of these art challenges, we always get a bunch of great submissions. And I would say it's worth going to check them out just to see how cool everything looks. But as you know, there can only be one winner. And the animation with the most votes came from Captain Ridley. Captain Ridley's post was sort of a low-poly martial arts film animation. I think it was heavily inspired by some of Jackie Chan's movies, and yeah, it's really, really cool. What's really awesome about the animation is that Captain Ridley actually imitated some of the stylistic things about those kinds of movies, including something where Like, you'll show someone get punched, for instance, and then you'll zoom in and show it again to kind of really sell the impact of the punch. And so, yeah, this is a really cool 3D animation, kind of stylized as one of those Jackie Chan movies. Uh, This one happens to be in a bar. It's got the double hit showing. And, uh, yeah, I think it looks really, really good, really sweet. And Captain Ripley... Oh, I... I've been saying Ridley. This is Captain Ripley, like from Aliens. 
So yeah, my apologies to <laughs> Captain Ripley. Anyways, Captain Ripley's post kind of goes into how they modeled and rigged and textured the people um, and how they did the animation in Blender. And Ripley actually brings up a good point. Um, they say, I'm still trying to figure out how much to do in Blender and how much to do in the video editing software. And that kind of gets at the core of why I did this whole challenge or I wanted to people to see like the actual process because a lot of times your software will have overlapping animation tools and you have to figure out what's best for your workflow one that is kind of personal to me is like do I do it in unity or do I do it in blender and the answer is not always clear and something I have to think about a lot of times and uh, yeah I think I just need to practice animation and workflows for animation more so that I can have a more definitive answer of what to do in Blender and what to do in Unity. As far as for making the actual animations, Ripley mentions that they used a lot of reference videos um, from online. I'm sure there was a lot of old action movies. Ripley says specifically like how people kick and how they shift their weight when they're doing side flips. So yeah, overall, a really, really cool animation, a really cool homage to kind of those older Jackie Chan movies. And I think this submission was an awesome example of why I'm so happy that we stopped doing just game design challenges and started including some art challenges too because it results in some really cool stuff. So congratulations to Captain Ripley for winning the episode 41 game dev challenge. For today's episode, for today's game dev challenge, I suppose the episode 42 game dev challenge I want you to pitch a game with multiple systems that have the interactability and flexibility to provide emergent gameplay. Today's episode is about emergent gameplay and emergent game design, and we're going to get at the core of the two things that I think allow for it, or the two things that you should use to design it. Well, I guess I already said them, their interactability and flexibility, and we'll get a little bit deeper into that later. But for now, this can be your classic game design elevator pitch sort of post. Just make sure you hit on these key topics of having multiple systems that have those two key things that allow for emergent gameplay. So yeah, if you have a good idea for the episode 42 game dev challenge, the one about the emergent gameplay, just jump on over to the community discord, go to the game dev challenge channel and type up your submission. With the game dev challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is about emergent game design. Emergent game design or emergent gameplay is one of those industry buzzwords that I think can mean a lot of different things to different people depending on who you ask. So I think it'll be helpful for me to describe what I mean by emergent design right here at the start. Emergent gameplay to me is when the features of a game add up to more than the sum of its parts. This often results in gameplay opportunities that the devs didn't design. This is gameplay that isn't hard scripted into the game, it just sort of emerges out of the tools and constraints of the game. Basically, emergent gameplay is when relatively simple game features, tools, or rules are combined by the players to result in complex and deep gameplay. I'll give a few examples because I think that'll make it a little bit easier. In fact, this show is going to be, or this episode rather, is going to be pretty example heavy. Because again, I think this is one of those nebulous things that's just better to learn through examples. So anyways, um, 
EVE Online is a game where the foundational gameplay idea is relatively simple. You pilot a ship and you're free to do whatever you want in an open universe. But the players have used these simple rules and a little bit of guidance from the devs with intentional emergence and we're going to talk about that in a second. But the players have used these relatively simple rules and they've created a complex universe full of piracy, diplomacy, a real economy, governments, and even massive conflicts. Another good example is Minecraft. Minecraft has relatively simple rules for the player and sort of simple creation tools. But think about all the different ways you can play Minecraft and even the sub-games within. In multiplayer, there's manhunts, there's hunger games, there's that one where you try to shovel the dirt out from underneath people to make them fall. There's single-player challenges like one-block skyblock, races, and all of that stuff was not really coded into the game and isn't told to the player. A lot of people play the game with their own personal challenges or their own personal sort of lore and headcanon, and to me, that's also a little bit of emergent gameplay. And we're also going to talk about something called emergent narrative. Emergent narrative is when a storyline kind of evolves through the game instead of being like a hard linear storyline. A good example of this is The Sims. There's no central linear story to The Sims. All you do is essentially control a person living their normal real life. But things start to happen to your sim and it creates an emergent narrative. Maybe your sim isn't sleeping very well, which makes them struggle at work, which then leads them to losing focus while cooking, which then leads them to a house fire. That exact narrative wasn't decided by the developers, but I think it's compelling for the player. And it's a narrative that simply emerged out of the game that the devs designed. So I hope through those examples that it's getting clearer what I mean about emergent design. Like I said, it can mean a lot of different things. People interpret it a lot of different ways. But maybe it would help to also break things down into categories. Let's talk about the difference between intentional and unintentional game emergence. Intentional game emergence is the goal or what I hope you learn today. And notice earlier I mentioned in EVE that the way the player behaves was not totally emergent. Of course, the game designers had a hand in designing a game that would provide opportunities for a real economy, player diplomacy, conflict, and all that other stuff I mentioned. Intentional emergent game design is done by, as we said earlier, providing players with tools but not forcing them into specific solutions. Unintentional game emergence is not what I'm trying to teach for a key reason, and that is that you can't really teach it. It's unintentional, meaning you didn't mean to do it. Sometimes unintentional gameplay emergence can be a happy accident, and other times it'll be something that you need to fix. It really just depends on the game, and unintentional gameplay emergence usually takes the form of a minor glitch that is stable. And by stable I mean the glitch doesn't crash the game or make it unplayable, but it does change the gameplay. A great example of this is reload canceling in modern first-person shooters. A reload cancel is when you glitch a reload animation so that you can start shooting again faster. It's sometimes a very minor glitch that only gives you like tenths to hundredths of a second faster reload, but at the highest competitive levels that's a huge advantage. 
And so reload canceling became a strategy, a feature, and part of the gameplay. Despite the fact that most game designers did not mean to allow you to cancel a reload animation. I believe, and you fighting game historians, um, please correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I believe that you could argue that combos in fighting games are the result of unintentional emergent gameplay um, from the old Street Fighter games. In Street Fighter 2, certain players realized that the right button combinations allowed you to chain attacks back to back, not allowing the opponent to recover. This was the birth of combos and was unintentional by the devs, but now every fighting game has combos purposely put in their game. Unintentional game design can lead to, in my opinion, some of the coolest moments in game dev. And what I meant to say was unintentional game emergence, not unintentional game design. <laughs> that's, that's actually bad. Unintentional game emergence can lead to cool moments. One of my favorite sources and games for emergent gameplay, both intentional and non-intentional, is Dwarf Fortress. I know that many times in the past on this show I've mentioned Dwarf Fortress, and it really is one of my favorite games ever. And I don't think I've mentioned this story yet, and it's a really good one about unintentional game design. If you don't know what Dwarf Fortress is, it's a colony simulator where you control a fort of dwarves, and it's X-Factor is kind of that the simulation is extremely deep. For instance, instead of dwarves having an HP, their health of their body is simulated, like their entire body. Literally, their nerves, their internal organs, the blood, all of it. And so when dwarves fight, they don't just, like, do damage in the form of points. They do damage in the form of, like, it's calculated, did that sword cut through all the nerves? Did it break arteries? Did it stab in the heart? All that stuff. And what factors into when they die is through blood loss, through an essential organ. They can be paralyzed. And that's just the combat. So my point is the simulation is extremely deep. But this deep simulation can <laughs> lead to some pretty funny and, I don't know, just really cool unintentional game design. In Dwarf Fortress, when something like a dwarf or an animal or a human or whatever does a skill, it increases its proficiency with the skill, but that also increases the physical attributes associated with it. So, for instance, you could set up your dwarves to train wrestling, and they would not only get better at the technique of wrestling, but they also get physically stronger and in better shape because they're working out. As you can imagine, there's some animals that live in this simulated world that get extremely good at certain skills because they do them all the time. Some even become famous and legends within the world like some kind of man-eating lion. At one point in the game, a certain animal was the most feared creature or at least one of the most feared creatures at your fort. And that animal was a carp. That's right, in a game with dragons, werewolves, bears, and forgotten beasts, one of the most feared <laughs> things was that ugly fish with the sucker mouth. Well, remember when I said that animals increase skills and attributes similar to dwarves? Carp are always swimming. And as it turns out, swimming is a skill that increases strength and stamina. This resulted in the fact that fish were <laughs> extremely, extremely strong. And because carp are sort of a bigger fish, they were roughly the same size as dwarfs, just built of solid muscle. 
Not only were they super muscular, but for those who don't know, carp have teeth in the back of their throat. They're sort of like uh, human molars for like grinding up shells and crustaceans and stuff that they eat. Because the simulation was so deep, these carp <laughs> became extremely, extremely OP. The result of all these factors in the simulation meant that you had a weirdly aggressive fish that could rip a dwarf's arm off because it was a dwarf-sized animal built of pure muscle with teeth. This basically made fishing or even going near the water for dwarves very dangerous. And I think it's a really funny and awesome moment of unintentional game design. Obviously, the creator didn't intend for the carp to be so dangerous, but they emerged as a dangerous threat due to the simple rules of how skills and progression work in the game. And I don't even think it was actually a bad thing. For a long time, it was just kind of accepted. Okay, Dwarf Fortress is a hard game, um, and nature is cruel. It kind of makes sense that, like, a dwarf and a big fish, <laughs> like, that might be dangerous. So, yeah, for a long time, it was just accepted by the community. And uh, there's lots of good memes and stuff out there. Just search Dwarf Fortress Carp. They'll come up. But yeah, it's a legendary Dwarf Fortress story. I'm actually 100% certain that Carp are no longer OP, but the game is still so full of emergent narrative and gameplay that I would say that Dwarf Fortress is my personal favorite example of emergent gameplay and emergent narrative, and that may sometimes be... Um, unintentional emergent gameplay. So now we know the difference between intentional and unintentional game emergence, let's talk about decisions you can make so that you can have some intentional emergence in your game. One of my favorite ways to intentionally design emergent gameplay, and I think the key two factors for me personally when I think about it, is flexibility and interaction. When I say flexibility, I'm talking about how flexible certain states or characteristics are in your game. For instance, let's say you have fire magic in your game, and you want the player to use fire magic to clear brush from a pathway so that the player can use it. You could design the game and code it to say, okay, fire magic can be used on brush to remove it. But what if we said fire magic can be used on things marked as wood to remove? You can still use it on brush, but there's a bit more flexibility in your game as to what fire magic can be used with. All of the sudden, fire magic can be used to remove any wood, like wooden doors. It can be used to destroy wooden boats, maybe disable wooden shields. This increased flexibility with the object's types, in combination with the interactability of the magic system, leads to a situation where new techniques, strategies, and overall gameplay emerge from the system. I think physics-enabled games are another good candidate for emergent gameplay. This is because physics games often have flexibility and interaction built in. But it doesn't always have to be pure physics games. It can be in other kinds of games where you just provide the player with ways to effect the underlying physics system. I wouldn't consider Elder Scrolls III Morrowind a physics game, but it does have underlying physics, and yet it has a really, really cool way 
of how jumping works in that game. Jumping may seem like a simple feature, but thanks to its interaction with skills, magic, and encumbrance, it can be a really fun and interesting travel mechanic. In Morrowind, you can craft spells, including spells that buff your skills. You can get to the point where you can buff your jump skill by so much that you can leap across cities. Landing, however, is the hard part, and fall damage in Morrowind takes into account how much stuff you're carrying, how high you've fallen from, and your character's overall vitality. Therefore, you can increase your odds of living by going lightweight, improving your vitality, or a last-second spell like Levitate. If you do it right, you can basically fast travel to any destination by jumping there. And unlike newer versions of Elder Scrolls like Skyrim or Oblivion, the fast travel system was not as complex and detailed, and it really only allowed you to go city to city. So therefore, players got really creative with jump magic. They sort of used this as their fast travel system. The developers of the game could have made it um, so that the jumps were real simple. You jump the same height every time. But instead, they increased the flexibility of the jump system and allowed it to interact with the other mechanics. And so the height that you jumped was based on your acrobatic skill, and you were allowed to alter your acrobatic skill with magic, which made this emergent fast travel jump possible. Now you might say, okay, well, that sounds kind of unintentional. It sounds like you're kind of breaking or glitching the game through a weird set of circumstances. But I have the feeling, in fact, I know that this was an intentional design choice. This is because earlier in the game, when you leave the first town and you go to this certain area in a swamp, a wood elf falls from the sky, and he dies upon impact, and if you search his body, you'll find magic scrolls that increase acrobatics by a thousand points, and his journal talks about inventing a new spell. So through some clever um, story pieces and kind of environmental storytelling, one can deduce that this character invented a jumping-slash-flying spell, but didn't have a plan for the landing and died on impact. Funnily enough, you can actually cast Slow Fall on this character if you can target him fast enough, and he won't die, he'll land. And if you talk to him, all he says is, I don't want to talk about it. So yeah, I thought I always thought that was really cool when I played Morrowind back in the day. And I know the developers, because of that, were aware of the possibility. And I think it's really cool that they left the spellcrafting that open to the point where you could sort of break the game. And I say sort of because although it has a great reward leaping long distances, it also has a pretty costly like skill ceiling. You have to know how to land. So yeah, anyways, I thought that I always thought that was really cool. And I think crafting spells and buffing your abilities is a good example of that interactability and flexibility and shows how emergent gameplay can come from those two things. And uh, yeah, that's not the only example in that game. There's lots of like stealth magic that makes you invisible. There's some speedrunning techniques that have to do with it. It's just a really cool system and something I hope they bring back for the next Elder Scrolls game. This interactability and flexibility of your game's various systems are why some people call a game with emergent gameplay a systemic game. In other words, it's a game where the systems are aware of each other and can interact. 
the YouTube channel Game Makers Toolkit has a really good video called The Rise of the Systemic Game. And if emergent gameplay is interesting to you, I think you should definitely go watch it. I definitely referenced it for this episode. But in that video, the narrator shows Far Cry as an example of how not only are the enemies and the wild animals aware of the player, but they're also aware of each other. And this sets up opportunities for the player to loose dangerous animals in any camps and watch the resulting chaos. You might be able to loose a caged elephant, for instance, and the caged elephant will be enraged and attack the guards. I don't want you to think that emergent gameplay design is only for AAA titles like Far Cry. Far Cry is, of course, a great example, and it's kind of like a lot of Ubisoft games and these systemic games starting to be like core to their overall philosophy of game design. But it's not just for AAAs. You can absolutely use emergent design for your small indie games and hobby projects. I'll admit that it isn't for every game, and I think it can especially be hard for games where you want to focus on a linear story. In a linear game, you have a strict path full of awesome moments and set pieces ready to go for the player, and it can be hard to have something emerge from a path with tight constraints. And even if it does, it may dilute the core of the game and the story you were trying to tell. Remember that oftentimes emergent gameplay is tied to emergent stories. So I hope you can see the conflict there and maybe some situations where you might not want to use it. That being said, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is perhaps the best example of a game that has emergent gameplay and a somewhat linear story. So my point is it can be done, you should just be aware of the conflict. I also want to mention emergent gameplay in multiplayer games. I think emergent gameplay is what gives a long life to multiplayer games. The creativity of a human brain can allow for games with relatively simple rules to become vast and deep experiences. If you think about Dungeons and Dragons, for instance, it's pretty much all emergent gameplay. The designers did not script the story you played, and I suppose you could argue that the DM is the designer, and therefore it was scripted by the DM, but even the DM does not decide everything that happens. Most of the time, the game, the story, and adventure unfolds or emerges with guidance from the dungeon master. So yeah, my point is it can be really advantageous as a dev to give your players tools to create custom games or just tools and systems that can alter gameplay so that your players can use their own creativity to influence the game. This kind of goes back to the EVE example, but the developers definitely put a lot of work into giving players tools so that they could really roleplay as running a galaxy-wide empire or trade federation or a faction of marauders. Multiplayer, I think, opens the door to the greatest amount and chances of emergent gameplay because you as a single dev won't be able to match the creative output of an entire community. But, as the dev, you'll be able to guide and direct that creative output into the right places. So, I feel like we talked about a kind of tougher or more nebulous concept today. I'd like to recap it quickly. Today's episode was about emergent gameplay design. 
Remember that this has become sort of a buzzword, so it can mean a few different things, but here's what it means to me. Emergent gameplay is when the player is provided with gameplay that wasn't strictly scripted into the game. It is rather the result of the system's constraints and tools that the player has access to. Good examples are the factions in Conflict in Eve, the storyline and history of your fort and dwarf fortress, or how you approach and clear an enemy camp in Breath of the Wild. None of these things were force scripted into the game. Rather, the developers gave the tools to the players to allow them to happen and allow the players to decide. Remember that there's also narrative emergence. Um, this would be like in The Sims or the story in Dwarf Fortress. None of that is pre-written. It's kind of procedurally put together based on game events and the game systems. We talked about the difference between intentional emergence and unintentional emergence. Intentional emergence is what this episode is about. Well, unintentional just sometimes happens. Usually it's the result of a glitch or unintended interactions. Reload canceling in FPS games is a good example of this. The key point of this episode was that we identified, in my mind, what is the two key things to creating an emergent system. That would be flexibility and interactability. Some people may just call that systemic game design. Just meaning that the systems are all aware and can interact with each other. A good example of this is the enemies and animals in the Far Cry series. This doesn't mean though that it's only reserved for AAAs. Emergent game design when used in the right circumstances can be a great way to improve an indie game. Lastly, I wanted to mention that you shouldn't underestimate the creative power of your game's community as a whole. Oftentimes new gameplay will emerge from them if you just offer a little guidance and let them just do what is fun. If you have any further thoughts on emergent gameplay or maybe you want to give me um, some of your favorite examples or stories, emergent gameplay always leads to really cool stories, please feel free to at me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore you can also find me on Twitch. Uh, that's just Zachavilli underscore. Don't forget about our open community Discord. That'd be another good place to maybe talk about some emergent gameplay moments. Links for all of that will be in the show notes. Big thanks to the patrons for picking today's episode topic. There's a link for our Patreon in the show notes. And yeah, with that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zachavilli, and the only thing I fear more than carp and dwarf fortress is running out of ale.